Good morning. No, good evening, isn't it? <laughs> Hang on, I'll, I'll, we'll start that again. Let's... Yeah. Good evening. <laughs> now, last time, uh, well, the only time I've spoken here before was at Academy, and uh, the, the camera was on. And um, I, I guess it's because I'm such a good-looking bloke that they had the camera there, uh, and I, I had this, this list of things that I wasn't allowed to wear. Uh, in case it brought interference and stuff like that. So I turned up in this spangly jacket with sequins and, and all that, but no, no. Okay, listen, I'm going to speak tonight uh, about sharing our faith uh, and, and bearing fruit for Jesus. So I'm going to read this verse. Uh, John 15, 8 says this. It says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I, before I was uh, a pastor of a church, I was a roofer and I worked on building sites for over 20 years. And uh, most of my preaching material came from 20 years working on building sites. There was one, one instance where I was working on a roof in Tufnell Park with this father and son team and uh, it was this big roof and, and we were sat down having a cup of tea out of our flask on the roof and, and old Roy uh, was there, and he was, he was uh, putting this felt on these parapet walls, which meant that he had to bend down like this with a blowtorch and stick the felt on the walls. And we sat there, and his son Mark was sat there reading the paper, and I'm, I'm having my cup of tea out of my flask. And he comes along, and, and he's going, old Roy, he's going, can you smell burning? You smell burning? And then you look at him, right, and his head's on fire. And, and, and his, his pure white hair was slowly going ginger and there was this, this kind of little sort of wick of smoke coming off him and, and, and Mark, uh, his son sat there, he goes, Dad, your head's on fire, like this. It was like a regular occurrence. But listen, he could smell something wasn't right. Right? He could smell something was wrong. And do you know what? We live in a society that's sniffing the state of the world and they know something's wrong, and they don't know what it is. And, and so this verse is, is sort of coming and saying, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Now, we have got a society that wants answers, and we've got a God that says, it's to my glory that you bear much fruit. And so... I want to look at today, how, how is it that we, we bear fruit? Um, over the years, I've tried loads of different methods of bearing fruit, of winning souls for Jesus, and, and seeing the glory of God come in our day and age. We've started, we've, I've done door knocking, we've done street preaching, we've done uh, prophetic evangelism, we, we've even done dramas and had gospel choirs on the street and stuff like that. And one particular time, we, we decided that we would put on this passion play, right? And so what it does, because I've got lovely flowing hair, right, I, I, I grew a beard, this is when I was younger, I grew a beard, right, and, and, and I dressed up as Jesus, like full on Jesus, 
right? And I, and I had a sheet around me, and I had a crown of thorns, and we made this, this 10-foot cross, and I carried it down the centre of these, these, these kind of busy streets and stuff. We had, we had Roman centurions, we had wailing women, and we went down, and we, and we tried to present Jesus in, in, in as, as accurate as we can for, for the, the Easter story. And, and what would happen was we worked out a way where you could actually sort of theatrically crucify someone without actually crucifying someone. And what it meant was that we had this big six-inch nail and we stuck it just under the wrist there. And if you twisted your arm like that, it looked really effective. And then while they were hammering this nail in, they'd tie your arm up this way. And then they'd, they'd oik you up. Now, that was great in theory until... We realised our mistake when one of the Roman centurions who had this big club hammer and a six-inch nail started like kind of hitting the nails. And it was a right dramatic moment. The crowd had followed us and there was this big crowd around us. And he's, and he's hitting this nail on, uh, underneath my wrist. But unfortunately, he was so cack-handed that... <laughs> Every time he was eating it, he was whacking my hands like this. And I'm screaming in agony. And people are going, that boy's a good actor, isn't he? He, he, We will try anything to present Jesus. But what I want to look at tonight is is what does it actually look like to bear fruit for Jesus? And and, and how, how do we do it? And I want to look at the story in Acts 8 of, of a guy called Philip. Uh, and the verses will appear as I, as I read through. Um, so uh, Acts 8, verse 4 says this. Those who've been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. How fruitful was Philip? He was there and a city was turned upside down because he was filled with the Spirit, done what God was telling him. He was representing Jesus with all his glory. Wonderful. And then we see later on in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. And down to verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. So you've got this guy, Philip, in the middle of a revival situation in a city. And at the whisper of God, he leaves all the dramatic fun and funky stuff that he could point to and say, look how cool I am. And he goes down to the road, uh, the desert road, just to make it ever so clear. The, The one where there's no shops, the one where there's no crowds, and meet one person. And he goes. 
And I just want to try and put this into context a little bit. This, this, this Ethiopian eunuch was, uh, was an important official in the, the, this Ethiopian queen's uh, uh, rule, and he was, he was, he'd obviously sort of taken time off. It was about 1,500 miles from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem. And the truth is, it says that he was coming back, and he was coming back because he would not have been allowed to worship in the temple in Jerusalem because of the fact that he was a eunuch. Right, now... now let me just kind of preempt a few questions. That you, I know you're an educated lot over here, but I, I, I was teaching this to uh, a group of East End nans uh, in, in, in Bethnal Green. And, and if you've never done a Bible study with East End nans, my days, that is a revelation. They, they, have, they have lost all filter. They say exactly what comes in their head, straight out, past their false teeth, straight into your ear. And they say exactly what. So, so I'm, t- I'm talking about this story and the fact that it will be shut out, wouldn't be allowed in the temple because uh, he, he was a eunuch. And, and Marlene pipes up, yeah, what's a eunuch? And then, and then uh, I'm thinking of a polite way to say it to, to, to these ladies. And, and Shirley goes, it's a bloke with no balls. I'm mean, like, okay, th- thank you for that, that medical uh, uh, explanation, uh, Shirley, appreciate that. You know, and anyway, we're going on, I'm saying, look, he wouldn't have been allowed in because, he, you know, he, 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 because of his situation. And, and then I'm going on and I'm waxing lyrical on these Bible truths. And Marlene pops up again, how did they know? <laughs> and, you know, with some discussion and we... And we we concluded that they had a very committed welcome team. Um, <laughs> consequently, if you were to visit East End Church, you will be attended by some very attentive older ladies. Um, but the eunuch would not have been allowed in to worship because of his condition. Deuteronomy 23 says this, No one who's been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Don't some verses want to make you leap up and say hallelujah? (laughs) Now, the, the thing is, Jesus told Philip to leave this city where revival was going on to meet with one bloke. And why was it? Because Jesus is consistently passionate about dealing with things that stop people from meeting God. And, and so he comes to this guy and, and, and he, he wants to sort of just change the situation that he finds himself in. Jesus is consistent about the way he deals with things that prevent people from meeting God. We see Jesus in his anger going into the temple where they've set up these money changers and, and, and uh, uh, this whole kind of market deal in the place where the Gentiles were meant to come and meet with God. You, you, you don't see Jesus angrier than when he goes in there and, and, and starts tipping tables and, and, and shouting at people, get out! Jesus hates it when things prevent people from meeting God. When we see 
how he deals with people. Dan was saying that the only clothes he's got now at the moment is, uh, is, is the white ensemble that he's got there because it's the only stuff that ain't got mud. He's been around mud, right? If he was to go in mud in his glowing angel costume that he's got on tonight, it would stick to him. But when Jesus encountered dirt and filth and sin... It wasn't him that got soiled, actually. What happened was that that when he came across a blind man who also would have been shut out of the temple, he healed him. And he'd done it by spitting on the ground in mud and healed him. When he came across the leprous, he cleansed them and then told them to go and show himself to the, 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 the leaders of the temple. And it's almost like provocative. It's like, look, look. Go and show yourself. Yeah. You know, it's like, this. it's not going to stop you. When he, when he came across the, the, the woman that was subjected to bleeding, she too would have been shut out. Actually, he, he, he healed her. This emasculated man, he came and met with where he's at. He went to a, a, a graveyard and called his mate out from the tomb. Listen, nothing stops people from meeting with God when Jesus is involved. He's passionate about it. Always has been. Always will be. Everything since the, the, the fall of man, when, 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 when Adam chose to, to, to turn away from God, everything that God has done has been mercy from that point on. Because he still wants people to know him. And he starts. The Holy Spirit, he doesn't want this man to be shut out from the presence of God. So God comes and encounters him. And he starts with his passage. And, he, and, he, and he's reading. And, and Philip, I, I love it. Philip just runs up to him. He, he just gets this whisper from the angel of the Lord. And he runs down. And he don't know. He's looking there, scratching his head, thinking, is this it, Lord? And then he sees this like, little caravan coming past and, 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 and the Ethiopian. And he goes, oh, it must be. Runs up to him and listens. And he's reading scriptures that he's heard and read himself. And he goes, do you, do you know what you're, you're talking about? Do you know what you're reading? He says, how can I unless someone explains it? And with where he's at, he starts explaining the fact that Jesus has come to still meet with people. And he goes on and he, he talks about you know, Isaiah 53 and, and talks about like a, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. But then he goes on and he carries on through Isaiah and he comes to Isaiah 56 and it says this, it says, no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, oh, I'm only a dry tree, for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Wow. Just, just imagine that man hearing those words. The, 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 the word of God just ministering to him. And he's saying, listen, you're going to have an inheritance that goes way beyond what you think. Listen, how many eunuchs do you know? Now, we're talking about this one 2,000 years later. I don't even know my granddad's middle name. And I'm, not, I'm talking about this guy. 
Jesus comes to deal with that which is, is, is kind of most serious. And he comes and, and, and cuts it off at the root. He knows exactly what this eunuch needs. And, and he knows what you need. And, and for, I don't know everyone here. I know I recognise a couple of faces, but not many. Can't see many of you, to be honest with you. The light's on. Uh, and and you, you might be, you know, you might be kind of, you know, irregularly coming along and you, you say, yeah, I'm following Jesus. I've come up, you know, I'm, I'm there. But it may be that you've come kicking and screaming because your significant other half has, has threatened and cajoled you to come and listen. Listen, what is it that prevents you from coming to meet with God? Well, what's the big deal for you? Are you ready to meet God now? Have you done business with God? Are you going to stand before God still loaded down with all your sin? Or have you given that to Jesus, who has taken it upon himself, nailed it to a cross and taken it to the grave so that his righteousness could rest on you and you are free to stand before holy God? Have you done it? Are you ready to meet with God? Are you ready? What we need is to encounter God ourselves. We need to encounter God ourselves. When we look at society, as a, uh, there's a guy that we baptised a couple of weeks ago called John. And uh, he was uh, confessing to the fact that he had this, this horrible boss. And, and what he did was he was working for this woman who was, who, who was his boss and she was shouting at him and shouting at everyone and, and just a nasty piece of work. She was never happy, always grumpy and he would make her a cup of coffee every morning and before he presented it to her, he would gob in it. He would spit in the coffee, stir it round and then present it to his boss. And, and, and he'd and he done this, but actually he's coming to faith now, isn't he? And, and he's, he's starting to follow Jesus. And you know, he's got one of them, what would Jesus do, bands. And he's making his coffee and he's thinking, I don't think Jesus would do this. <laughs> and so he, he, he stops and he presents his coffee to his horrible boss. And she takes it, she sips it, and she starts shouting at him. This tastes funny. What have you done to this thing? And then he starts shouting at him and stuff. So he goes and rectifies the situation for, for her. But listen, we, we, we live in a society that smells the smoke, but we live in a society that tastes that there's something wrong. There's something twisted. There's something not right. This, you, you look at the headlines and you think of Brexit and you hear about knife crime and, and in your own families and, that, and the, the kind of moral compass of the nation has gone totally skewy and, and, and everyone's looking at one another saying, what am I meant to believe? What am I meant to feel? What am I meant to understand about this identity or that? Some of the pictures that came up on that, that, that uh, the video earlier. We, we're living in a screwed up generation. There's something don't taste right and, and there are things that we can do as, as followers of Jesus to present him appropriately to the society we're in. And, and you look at some of the examples in the Bible. You see Andrew, you see Peter's brother Andrew. That you don't read much about him. It doesn't seem that he's a, much of a talker. But what you do find is that he's always bringing him to Jesus, bringing people to Jesus. He's always bringing people along to someone that can explain better than he can. That's legit. 
That's okay to do that. And his brother, Peter, obviously, we know about Gobby Peter. He's there, and he's always kind of opening his mouth, putting his foot in it, but he's always attempting great things. But when, when persecution comes, we see that in, in, in his letter, he writes to a church in a perilously hostile situation. He says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So he's there, he's, look, look, we've got to be careful, but always be ready. Don't back down, just draw a line in the sand saying, this far and no further. When someone asks you a, a straight question, you answer them a straight answer. We also say, I love this guy, there's a guy that Jesus heals in the Bible that uh, he, he was blind, and he, he's the one that, that he made mud and put it in his eyes. And, and this guy that has been blind from birth can now see and, he, and he's jumping about in a temple and the Pharisees is going, what on earth do you think you're doing? This, who, who, who's done this? And he explains it to him. This guy, Jesus, come and he's spat in the mud and now I can see. And, he, and, he, and he's saying, well, well, who is this Jesus? He's going, oh, I guess he's a prophet. And he goes, he can't be a prophet though. No prophet comes like this. And he says, well, I don't know. And then he says, well, right, okay. And then he gets his, their parents and wheels it before, like the Pharisees. Is this the one? Is this your son? Yeah, yeah, this is your son. And they, they get him again and they say, look, look, what's happened? Who is this? And they said, it can't, Jesus can't be who he says he is because he's healing on the Sabbath and that's really naughty. And he says, look, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Boom. Drop the mic, moonwalk out. You know, uh, and, but it's not because he was great, some theological sort of understanding or whatever. He just told them what he knew. I was blind and Jesus has healed me so I can see. I would say that's a good argument. Listen, don't get so worried about dotting I's and crossing T's that you forget the big things. Jesus has saved your soul. He's changed you from within. He's given you new desires. The things that used to stir you up and you used to run for now don't hold the same attention and, 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 and passion that you now have. You now want in the deepest part of your soul to please him. It's a miracle. Don't get all bogged down in all the, 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 the fancy things that we, 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 you know, we lose it. Proverbs 14 says this, a truthful witness saves lives. You just tell them the truth. We haven't got to act like Jesus' is PR man. We just tell them what we know. He is irresistible. Our job is just to lift the curtain a little bit more and say, look at him. Every person, every intellectual, even if they're thick as two short planks or so entrenched in some lifestyle, when they encounter Jesus, they cannot stay the same. He is wonderful. He always has been wonderful. He always will be wonderful. We just have to point to him. I mean, we want to be wise. We, we want to leave someone in a better place than when we find them, when we're talking about Jesus. You, you do know that no one becomes a Christian because they lose an argument. Because you've proved beyond doubt and they're sat there thinking, oh, I'm so stupid, I've got it wrong or whatever. And people don't follow Jesus on the back of that. But they do remember when you've loved them and listened to them. My, my kids, over the years, I've gone to various uh, school assemblies 
And, and, and sometimes I've been there and they've wheeled out the Chisinau Primary School Orchestra. Mm. It's, it's painful. And, and they get these kind of kids with these massive sort of violins and oboes and stuff and they sit down and they attempt something way beyond their ability, like Beethoven's Fifth or something. And, and they're sat there and they're scratching away at these violins and they've got these silly recorders at the front and, and, and it's, it's awful. But you can't blame Beethoven. You know, it's like, in fact, sometimes they will hit a good note. And it's pretty good. And, and in fact, I would say that some people have gone away and, and actually looked at and, and discovered what Beethoven's Fifth should sound like as a result. And they wouldn't have unless they'd heard these silly little attempts. Likewise, some of our scratching attempts to represent God are hopelessly flawed and mistake-ridden. But every now and then, we'll hit the right note. And people will go away and discover what it's really about just because we're making mistakes. And we're not mistaking, making mistakes because we're holding back. We're making mistakes because we're falling forward. And we're attempting great things for our God. Listen, the, the best way that we can reach this generation is not by learning all the details and, and, and knowing, going to all the courses and, 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 and knowing all the verses and all that. Like we do want to you know, uh, build ourselves up and learn as much as possible, but that's not what's going to change people. It's going to be encounters with God. And that starts with us encountering God. I've been, I've been feeding over the last few weeks on, on stories of revival when God has come down on various areas in the power of God. When, when actually whole communities are caught up in the presence of God, realising that they're living lives that are full of sin and they've offended a holy God. I, I want to encourage you, read these stories, read these accounts, read these, these motivating things. You read about the Welsh revival when, when, when miners going down the pit are singing praises to God. You know, where before they were arguing and swearing and, and then society changes when, when God falls upon an area. Listen, if, if we want to reach Wimbledon, if we want to reach the rest of London, we need for God to fall. These, these methods and stuff are not going to draw God down. Okay, oh, oh look, they've been really good. They've been trying really hard. Let's, let's, oh, Holy Spirit, let's go down. It ain't like that. What happens is a man meets with God, has his soul revived, and he cannot help but demonstrate and tell of the love of God because he's understood it for himself. I want that for myself. Do you want that for you? You want that power in you? You want that encounter with God? Because when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, you cannot help but demonstrate the love of God to a needy situation. You've got the answers to knife crime. You've got the answer to Brexit, I guess. You know, <laughs> you know. listen, whatever society throws at you when you meet with God, nothing else matters. It's just, it doesn't matter. 
when the Holy Spirit falls upon a man, he can never, ever, ever be the same again. I want us to, to pray. I, I, I'd like us to pray together. Dan's given me permission to do whatever I want. He said that, I heard him, right? And I, I want to pray for us here in this room. And, and I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will come down. And, and I was sat there earlier in the worship, and I feel God saying he wants to light some fires tonight. It's going to be, listen, when you, it's like a little fire. You're going to take it with you from this place. And you're going to go with that fire. And you're going to go to your college. You're going to go to your family. And you're going to go to your factory. You're going to go to your workplace. You're going to go to your school. You're going to go to your street. And you're going to start setting things alight. And there's going to be fires springing up all over the place. Can I invite you to stand? In a moment, we're going to take communion. I think I'll land over to Dan for that in a minute. But before we do that, uh, actually, could the band come out? Is that right? As they're setting out, I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit comes and meets with us right where we're at. One of the things that struck me as I've been reading about the revival recently is just how normal some of these people were. Passionate, but flawed, wanting the right thing, but not the finished product. And, and, and most of them are in tears because they realise the time that they've wasted. And, and, and they're broken because they think, I've, I've, I've missed the opportunity. Oh God, let me be used by you. You get these, these, these Welsh revivalists saying, oh God, that you would bend me to your will. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come tonight. Holy Spirit, see our hearts. And we say, God, bend us to your will. Oh, Lord. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you come and start fires tonight.